They say, they say we should have known better than to fall so deep down, deep down into this rabbit hole we found. Welcome to another edition of Down the Rabbit Hole Newscast, where our crew of Monday morning InfoSec quarterbacks discusses the important events affecting enterprise security and provides their unique analysis and perspective. And now, James Jardine, Michael Santarcangelo, and the White Rabbit, Rafael Los. All right, folks, welcome to another edition of the Down to Security Rabbit Hole podcast. This is Raf. It is March 7th. It's a Tuesday. It's 2017. We're on episode 235, and the hits just keep on coming. And, uh, James, how do you do? How are you today, sir? I'm well. I'm well. I'm I'm T minus uh, approximately three weeks from today uh, before I have to vacate the state of Illinois for hopefully the last and final time. <laughs> hopefully, just a visit next time, right? <laughs> if that, um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome making the move again. I, I'm I'm dreading every single moment of it. Uh, dragging two three-year-olds across the country, but going back to the beautiful state of Georgia and uh, sweet home Atlanta. So uh, getting pretty excited about that. Definitely going to be an undertaking, that's for sure. It is something. It is something. If you've never done this kind of, that kind of move, um, just hope that you never have to because it's, it's, it's a pain in the ass. But let's start this week uh, a bit of a somber note um, on the passing of what I consider you know, an info, a legend in really our industry. And Folks, if you didn't uh, get the chance to meet uh, Howard Schmidt at some point uh, during his long and incredibly distinguished career uh, i think uh somebody recently described him as one of the CISOs who got it air quotes um it's very very uh very very rare and and uh, howard was uh, i guess a huge huge leader he was kind of a titan in the space he spent time in government spent time in the uh in the retail industry and and uh, he was just we had him on the show um i put a link uh, for it for you guys um and just listening to him talk, he's just exci- he was just excited about everything. You know, he's, he had tremendous stories to tell. And uh, as um, you know, like I said, I'm kind of sad uh, to to have to do this on the show and take a moment. But uh, I just wanted to you know acknowledge the fact that uh, he did make a make a big influence in a lot of your lives, whether you know it or not. Uh, so take a moment. He actually wrote a great book called Patrolling Cyberspace: Lessons Learned from a Lifetime in Data Security. Um, uh, and you know, he was the former uh, FBI computer specialist, Microsoft CISO, eBay CISO, White House cybersecurity advisor, and just all around swell guy. Um, and and he loved to ride that Harley. So, um, hopefully, uh, hopefully you guys take a moment to reflect on that. Um, like I said, if you if you haven't seen the read the book, I uh, got my autographed copy, which I will not be parting with. But uh, it's it's a good book. Um, give it a read. And uh, Howard, Godspeed, brother. Um, so anyway. On that note, uh, we'll go from somber to perhaps uh, insane. The, the most insane <laughs> uh, criminal. I, I kind of wish Tuma was on the show with us today, but both him and Michael are uh, off doing uh, other important life things. Uh, as as <laughs> wait a minute, that's my job. Um, I'm usually the one vacant for these, but this is quite possibly the most insane criminal defense I think I have ever heard. Right behind researcher. <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. 
somewhere somebody's turning this show off and saying i'm never listening to these idiots again they pro- <laughs> you know they probably are but it's funny because right before the show somebody posted something about that uh you know 911 dialer that went around like last october yeah and you know claiming he was doing you know bug bounty research for apple yet he you know sent out a malicious payload that would dial and try to dos 911 system so it, it's just it, funny timing <laughs> <laughs> but in case you don't know what we're talking about, um, if you haven't seen this, uh, it's, there's a link to the uh, show notes. Um, it's I, I caught it on Naked Security, uh, Sophos' uh, site, which is also always a great place. Um, it's under It was on 27th of February. The headline is, IT admin was authorized to trash employer's network, he says. Um, <laughs> I don't even... <laughs> I meet uh, Michael Thomas, I guess. That's the guy from uh, Click Motive um, where he resigned and basically, um, well, torched the place, set it on did fire. What, did what a lot of people would love to do, it, I think, when they quit a lot of jobs. <laughs> well, it, yeah, I mean, he uh, he cut people – he cut the company off from its customers. He cut them off from um, – all their servers. I mean, he basically, like I said, <laughs> he took a plate, uh, a plate, a page out of the bastard bo- operator from hell. If you don't know what that is, by the way, go look up BOFH. It's hysterical. I have the books. Um, but he, if you if you <laughs> if you read this article, like he did leave a smoldering pile after he left, and I don't know any other way to say it. But good God, man, what have you done? I I, I can only just envision him walking away, the explosion behind him, and he doesn't even look back. You know, it, it's I mean, it's an action movie. It's an action movie <laughs> sequence that we would all would love love to do, but none of us it, had the guts to. It brings or, an interesting defense that they're they're bringing about with this right saying that because he was a system admin he has authorization to do whatever he wants on the network you know so going in and deleting backups and removing people from email distribution lists and you know the vast majority of other things that he's done well he's a sysadmin he can do that stuff right that he's authorized to do anything he wants on the network well so back in 2016 in june he was convicted of a single federal count of violating the cfaa uh, in the Eastern District of Texas. Um, hey, Tuma, come on, man. Where are you? <laughs> we need you to come laugh at this with us. Um, he <laughs> he may be working the case. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. Uh, he, 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 uh, he had, this dude had to pay $131,391.21. I don't know how they calculated that, but it's kind of funny. Um, and, you know, he, <laughs> the jury found him guilty. Duh, <laughs> of of crapping on his old company, but but this story gets weirder. He um, from the appeal he filed uh, that past Tuesday. Mike, uh, here's the quote: Michael Thomas had unlimited auth- authorization to access, manage, and use ClickMotive's computer system, and was given broad discretion in his exercise of the authority. So he basically says, in my day job, I deleted stuff all the time. Um, I moved stuff all the time. I changed passwords all the time. This was no different, um, except, uh, dude, you just didn't tell anybody about it, and you impeded the company's ability to, to like, do its thing. Although, I got to tell you, this brings me to a place where I'm wondering, if this defense works, the world has clearly gone completely sideways in a way I don't want to be comfortable with. Well, you know, I mean, they bring up an interesting point in here where they say, uh, you know, another part of his appeal that should have managers jumping on the phone with their lawyers and digging up their policy manuals. There was nothing in Quick Motive's policies that said Thomas couldn't do exactly what he did, which is 
kind of interesting. I mean, most of our policies will say you can't do stuff to harm our company. I would believe, I mean, most of the ones I've seen, you know, basically saying, hey, you're acting in the best benefit of the company, not you could just go out and do whatever you want. So, you know, do we have to all of a sudden whitelist everything in there that says, or I guess really more of a blacklist here and say, you can't delete files that you know will cause harm. You can't remove, you know, do I have to think about everything here? Or can you blanket say, hey, you have to work in the best interest of the company. And anybody can clearly see if you go look at this and say, hey, deleted all this stuff. He knew he did it on purpose with intent. Uh, That's not the best interest of the company. So clearly it's a violation of your authority, right? So it'd be interesting to see what these policies look like and if they call that type of thing out. I mean, I personally think even without a policy, you know, obviously, I mean, you're, you're getting hired on to work in the best interest of a company. Uh, you know, you're not just willy nilly. Oh, well, I'm a sysadmin. I mean, I, does that mean that you can remote into the CEO's machine and watch what he's doing and, you know, bug his microphone and listen to what's going on in meetings because you're a sysadmin? You know, where does that stop? That's why this criminal defense can't possibly win because this is the end of sanity as we know it if it does. <laughs> and I suspect this, this, there's just – I don't know. I, I hope I hope and pray sanity prevails and whoever's presiding over this case or whatever juries pick to preside over this uh, looks at this and goes um, – no, let's let's not do let's not allow them to do that because that that's bat nuts. But I guess yeah. you never know. Uh, you know, when it comes to CFAA, you know, I mean, there, there's lots of broadness there, so it's pretty open to interpretation. And I feel like authorization is something that's not well defined, unfortunately, in any situation. You know, to be able to understand, hey, am I authorized to do this? I mean, we see it all the time with applications, with ports that are open. Well, hey, there's a MongoDB sitting out there with no authentication on it. I mean, I wasn't given the link to it, but I found it. So uh, am I authorized to do whatever I want to it? You know, it's a very difficult thing to address there because a lot of it's implied, not explicit. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, It's it's an interesting situation. I think it'll be fun to follow it and see how the appeal goes. Um, You know, I mean, at the very end, you know, they do sit there and talk about how dangerous this is, you know, going forward. But I feel like that's a security mechanism that we just do. Everything's devastating. Everything, you know, is going to be detrimental. You know, all of a sudden, if, if this holds true, you know, everybody all of a sudden... You know, when you go in to leave a company, you delete some emails, and all of a sudden you're going to be tried under CFAA. Well, see, that's that's the thing. I, I this is the fear I have. This crazy irrational fear. Um, please tell me it's irrational. That if he wins, then basically everybody suddenly is going to be every CISO is suddenly going to be scrambling to put in rules, like explicit rules in legal language that say you are allowed to do this but only to the benefit of the company which means that if you fat finger something and speaking of uh, you know you break something right um <laughs> that's kind of we're, t- we're going to talk about amazon in a bit but that that person right if you if you break something you, you you mistype something it hurts the company you're now facing a cfaa penalty who's going to want that job on the other side of that it, it kind of creates the exact opposite effect, doesn't it? Like no accountability. Woohoo! I don't. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I would find it tough to draw the comparison to, you know, fat fingering something or something of that nature. I mean, you've got a clear case, and I know the system doesn't work like this, but I mean, it's a clear case of I was ticked off. I wanted to screw you over. I went ahead and did stuff that I knew would do that versus, hey, I was just trying to do my daily job and, you know, I accidentally deleted the entire file system. I mean, that you're doing your routine daily job in the in the right intention versus, you know, look, I, I'm not doing this in the best interest of the company, right? I mean, you could do something that destroys stuff within the company, but actually be doing it in the best interest. Like what you're doing is supposed to be helping. You just happen to mess it up versus, no, no, I'm going to do this because I'm not doing this in the best interest of the company. I'm doing this in my best interest to hurt the company. There's a big difference there, and it doesn't seem like it's that hard to to make that distinction. Yeah, I mean, look, I think what's happening is this goes back to where you anybody can literally anybody can be just about anybody can be charged with anything. I mean, if you if you look at it right, the question is, is it going to stick? And I think in the, what we're looking at here is the case of mens rea. Like, what was the intent? If we can if we can ascertain intent, like this guy was clearly speaking of ascertaining. Um, this guy clearly did something that was malicious and with ma- malicious intent. That makes him a bad person. If somebody accidentally did something in the course of their job, that is, you know, you, you can't go back and Monday morning quarterback things that that say, hey, a year ago you deleted a file. We can't find it now, and we're being sued. Right. It's your fault because there was you know, you have to prove intent. That's the thing. I think you, they're going to have to. They're going to. I think they proved intent. That's how they got convicted the first time. So, ergo, this is just insanity. Yeah, it seems a little little broad for for what we would typically see. I think. <laughs> hey, uh, moving right along because uh, you know we have we have not all the time in the world. Uh, this next one deals with Yahoo and the message that the board just sent. Uh, there's some there's some things that are going down at Yahoo that are gonna gonna ripple for hope maybe 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 down the halls of CEOs offices going forward. But they've Yahoo clearly if there's any anything that says Yahoo was uh, anybody that argues Yahoo's cared about security uh, cares I think now they care. But um, if anybody wants to argue that Yahoo cared about security in any way. Um, I think it's fair to say that yeah, I've got we've got some good evidence that says otherwise. But they're on their what third major announcement of an oops, we didn't discover this. <laughs> and so the board launched an investigation. Uh, the CEO, uh, Marissa Mayer, who's done a stellar job at her at her gig, chasing away top talent and um, um, yeah, that. How how does she even have a gig still? Jeez, Louise. I want that job to be basically be that effective. Um, but after a string of breaches, the board decided, you know what? We're not giving you your 2016 bonus and your 2017 equity award is not going to be there either. And now the top lawyer resigned um, or was asked to, I guess, whichever. Is this the is this the event that will put CEOs on notice about how important security is? Or is this just another event? James? I mean, to be honest, I mean, I think it's just going to be another event. I mean, we see them all the time in security, especially. Everything is top news. We're going to see it. Uh, you know, we saw big news around Target, you know, whether that was accurate or not with people leaving. 
now we see it here, you know, hey, let's make a big whoop to do about, oh, we're going to, you know, you're going to give up this, you're going to give up that. I mean, it's interesting, you know, I mean, she's, I mean, from her statement that she sends out, like, look, I mean, I'm the CEO of the company and uh, it happened under my tenure, you know, so agree to forego annual bonus and annual equity grant this year. I mean, one, I mean, granted, maybe everything she's done not been the best. I mean, being able to stand up and say, well, I mean, it happened under my stuff. Now, whether she's coerced to say that or not, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, you're starting to see, you know, where responsibility and accountability is taken forth, and it goes all the way up the chain. What's also interesting, though, is that we're seeing a lot of people below that, you know, that are also kind of getting hit with this, right? I mean, what top legal counsel uh, is resigning from the uh, the group. I mean, th- there's a bunch of things. I can't get rid of the you know CISO at the time because they're not there anymore. But I'd be willing to bet that if they were, this would have been probably the end of that. You know, I mean, companies are trying to push out and and make statements. And I think one of the reasons here with this one is because they're going through the Verizon deal. Like, hey, look, we we got to make big statements here to show that we care. I mean, we just had what three announcements, two announcements from. Three years ago, four years ago, that are now coming to light that, hey, maybe we knew about this and we didn't quite process it like we should have or kind of swept it under the rug. Although they did say here that it says the board did not conclude that there was an intentional suppression of relevant information. I don't know. So the key word there is intentional? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) goes back to that intent, right? But we did suppress information. It wasn't intentional, though. Right. Yeah, somebody knew about this Not and sure it didn't feel handled properly. Yeah, you know, I mean, them coming back and concluding that, and then, of course, then seeing that, hey, look, you're going to give up your bonus and, you know, all this other stuff seems kind of, you know, back and forth a bit. But, you know, I, I think you're going to start seeing that companies, you know, as this stuff comes out, it's going to start bubbling up, right? I mean, it, it goes to the top. And it, that's not going to change, I don't think. I think it's just hard to be able to figure out when an incident happens, how do you know at, at what point how much of that has to bubble up? You know, did it make it up there and they suppressed it? Did you have somebody below you that suppressed it? I mean, what kind of sticky situation is that when people below you, you know, are suppressing stuff that you need to know about but they're not telling you? How do you get that information? That's That's never really been an easy thing to answer, right? Right. You know, so, I mean, you're kind of stuck, especially if you're CEO of a company or, or high up like that. I mean, if the information is not provided to you, how do you react to it? You know, there's a big difference between I didn't know and, yeah, you told me. And I said, yeah, we're fine. Let's just keep on going. No big deal. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a big difference there. So, I mean, I think within corporate, you know, I mean, organizations need to start looking at the fact of, hey, how, how are we getting information on these things right are we tracking this stuff if we're seeing indicators how do we promote that up through to make sure that the people that need to know about it know about it uh, you know to make those decisions uh, because i know myself look if, if somebody's going to be tagged i want to make sure it's the big dog up top <laughs> that's making that decision of a yay or nay not me you know yeah i'm i'm I, like i said I'm, again, again i'm kind of curious as to what this does in terms of accountability at the executive level and i i don't you know i want to say that it will fundamentally change like how you know how cso's um 
report and how CEOs react and accountability and boards. I think, yeah, I think there's other. I mean, this clearly impacted a lot of things at Yahoo, and Yahoo's already having having some issues um, besides this. So this this kind of feels like the <clears throat> the target effect where other issues came to light. This was just like the uh, the, the you know the the cinnamon on top of the uh, cherry on top of the whipped cream on top of the ice cream on top of the uh, brownie. And now I'm hungry, but um, you're welcome. But I mean, this is just one of those things. Maybe, or maybe it's just the importance of accountability. I I don't know. Um, I, I'm not certain, but I mean, it certainly is a big deal, I guess. Right? <laughs> let's let's not um, let's let's not dismiss it. I mean, it's it's a big deal. Um, I'd like to think that it's a, it's a big deal that will that will have positive impact from a leadership perspective because what we've noticed here is that boards tend to care when you find it, when a incident or a lack of security financially impacts them. Um, although if you didn't know that, maybe you don't deserve to be a CEO, but. And- yeah. It, you know, it's going to be eye opening for a lot of people. You know, I mean, this is one of the, the, Early on instances we're going to see where it bubbles up like this and there is some sort of penalty that goes up to the CEO for a mass breach like this. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out going forward. Do we see more of these, you know, or this is kind of, you know, a rare unicorn, if you will. Yeah, I don't know. I don't actually – I don't know the answer to that. I I suspect it will be used – I can tell you one thing that's a, almost a for sure prediction. You ready? This will end up in every other vendor's slide for why they should buy a security – why their customer should buy their security <laughs> product because if they don't – oh, let me tell you. If you don't, this could happen to you. Well, you can believe that. Meh. I mean it's going to be a marketing goldmine to help sell that stuff. And once again, marketing wins. All right. Well, hey, look, um, I, I, you know, I, I think accountability is important. I think that's the thing. The leadership lesson here is accountability is important, and that leads us to our next topic. <laughs> speaking of unicorns, speaking, speaking of unicorns, uh, <laughs> apparently blue, uh, Bluetooth unicorns do exist, and they do not care so much about security. This is the uh, Spiral Toys Cloud Pets uh, doozy of a fiasco. Um, security research. This is this is kind of the classic love story of, of security. Security researcher. So actually, let's take one step step back. Product company builds innovative product, adds Wi-Fi and Bluetooth to it, makes great function additional functionality. Researcher buys product, tests product, finds glaring holes in product, tells company about it. Company ignores, hoping it will go away. Hint: It doesn't go away, and. Uh, you know, uh, bad things happen. I mean, it's. <sighs> but what's interesting about this is it started off, you know, and there's been multiple stories about this, right? I mean, everybody's got different angles to the sources of these things. But it started off as, you know, MongoDB database sitting out there, unauthenticated, unauthenticated. Anybody could go in, grab the data, right? And so. From this, people, you know, researchers had gone out, they found this database, they pulled down the data, they saw that you could get 
access to uh, the the email addresses and the passwords, which were hashed with bcrypt, which, hey, let's go with A-OK with that, uh, you know, ignoring the fact that they had no password complexity, but they're at least they're using <laughs> bcrypt. That's a, I mean, that's a positive right there. I mean, it's amazing that they were doing that, but most likely I'd be willing to bet uh, it was the framework that they chose that by default used bcrypt, by the way. <laughs> probably. That's probably why they I were using bcrypt if they had no complexity at all on their passwords. Uh, you know, but it started off as, hey, look, there's this database out there. We dumped, you know, 800,000 email addresses and, and hashed passwords, some of which could be cracked to get access to it. You know, and then, oh, wait, oh, and we have access to, you know, voice recordings from the, the bears, the teddy bears or whatever. And, you know, now we could listen to these voice recordings. And then after that, and then it starts coming out with, Oh well, wait a minute. Also, you know the Bluetooth is susceptible on these on these items, you know, and that if you're within Bluetooth range, you could connect and enable the microphone and, and pull off recordings or send a recording to the device. And it's interesting because as I watched all this unfold, it, it kind of annoys me a lot. You know, people, oh, you know, Internet of Things is what's really wrong with this, and when are Internet of Things developers going to get this right? And this was before the Bluetooth stuff came out, and I'm like, but it wasn't the bear it was your mongodb sitting out on the web with nothing around it you know i mean that could have been a mobile app that could have been a web app that could have been anything has nothing to do with iot at that point it's you didn't secure your stuff right and then of course well there was ransomware put on there yeah with what i mean how many attackers out there run automated systems to go in there and and break mongodb databases and put ransomware on there i think we talked about on the newscast uh, a couple episodes ago Yep. Right where MongoDBs, hey, the new thing is let's load ransomware on these MongoDBs because they're sitting out there unauthenticated. So if it went to ransomware issues, I'd be willing to bet it was probably part of that swath. It had nothing to do with anything else that was going on. It was, there's a MongoDB. Let me take the data. Let me ask for money for it. You know, so it's interesting to watch this whole thing unfold and then on top of that, you know, see and, and you know, I got to imagine this is where a lot of contention comes in when we talk about working with researchers. And you know, you got people coming out of the woodwork. Oh, I notified them back in October. I notified them here. I'm not getting any response, right? So we put it as a big name and shame. We throw it out there, and you know, make a huge spectacle of it. And we throw words like devastating and safety and. You know, the, the sky is falling. We throw all these things out there to hype it up, you know, as if our kids aren't safe because they have this teddy bear. And, and, you know, we were joking around a little bit before this, and I'd made the comment, you know, look, unless you can make that teddy bear catch on fire, pretty sure my kid's still safe. Hold the teddy bear. But, but James, think of the children. I oh. am. <laughs> think of my children. And <laughs> it, It's a nuisance. It's an inconvenience. Um, and if... Uh, yeah, shame on them for for doing crappy development, but also, I mean, I don't know. This is kind of like this reminds me of the camera hack where, you know, parents found somebody being belligerent to their child on a internet connected uh, camera uh, that was apparently poorly secured. And and I get it that that that's that that can be that can be kind of you know cause some some issues, right? I mean, scare the hell out of you for certainly. But if somebody's listening to 
you and your kids' voice recordings back and forth from each other, and you're worried about something that's being said, being heard by somebody else, what exactly are you? Are you like whispering <laughs> the nuclear launch codes to your kids, or are you doing things that you should be in jail for? Like, what what is going on there? And I get it. The reasonable expectation of privacy exists. Don't get me wrong, but is it devastating? Uh, only to a small subset of people, I would guess. Uh, and those, I'd like it to be devastating for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that. That's the thing for me, for a lot of these things that we talk about, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, we use things like devastating and, you know, I mean, like the sky is falling. But then when you look at it, yes, their, their privacy is breached at that moment. But, you know, to me, I mean, unless that kid, you know, is giving up his passwords to the teddy bear, you know, he decides he's going to use his teddy bear as his password manager, or you're going to tell me that the bad guys have stolen his voice recording so that way they can my you voice know, is my passport his, verify me. yeah they're, <laughs> they're gonna bypass his voice recognition to his secret hideout basement you know in his basement that leads to uh, direct access to fort knox i mean devastating i i feel like we're we're going a little far here and my concern with that is is that this is why people don't listen Right, because you sit there and say, oh, my God, it's devastating. I mean, they got a kid that said, Mommy, Daddy, I love you. It's like, think of the children. Okay. Who will think of the children? You know, and that, that's not helping. You know, and I, I've thought about this of, you know, sitting there saying, like, look, put, put your judgment aside when you're thinking about these stories and say, look, let's focus on the facts. And, you know, one of the things I focus on when we look at this is let's look at the things that didn't work well and figure out how as an organization – we can do them better, right? One, we've already talked about this, MongoDBs. Freaking put authentication on it and don't expose it to the internet. There's your first step, right? Two, <laughs> I mean, just thinking about this as we go through, but as we lock down those MongoDBs, think about the privacy we have. Think about how you get vulnerability disclosures. I'm not saying you have to have a bug bounty program, but there are multiple people saying they attempted to contact some said they put it through the help desk. Some said they, I don't know, put it on Twitter. Because let me tell you something, everybody, just to let you know, posting something on Twitter, it'll certainly get to who it belongs to. Uh, but if they never really got there, well, there's a breakdown in that process, right? And we all have to have some sort of vulnerability disclosure process. Again, doesn't mean I'm paying you for vulnerabilities. What I'm saying is if you have found something and you want to submit it to me, this is how you do it. It guarantees I get it. So that way, hopefully, I can respond to it. And hopefully, they're paying attention. Well, this is the thing. Like, hopefully, people are paying attention. Like, like you're saying, create a, create a process that. So companies should have this, right? I, I I'm going to chime in here because I, having having worked uh, on uh, in a company that was taking, they created a process for intake of essentially reports of badness uh, in their in their stuff. Having some experience with that, but arguably a long time ago and des- decades ago. But anyway. This is a big deal. Uh, having an intake process for how do people disclose stuff to you? Have, is it legally? Is it approved through legal? Do you have a way of handling this? Uh, these types of submissions. Um, what happens to them? How do they get prioritized? Transparency is important. Transparency is a big deal, ladies and gentlemen, because people want to know that it didn't just go into a black hole and, and it'll never be heard from again. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, sorry to interrupt, James, but these are things that uh, that that definitely need to be fixed. 
Well, it's something that we we still don't see in a lot of places, right? One, I think one of the reasons is is a lot of times we associate vulnerability disclosure with bug bounties, right? And they're they're really two different things. Vulnerability disclosure should be just something everybody has, whether that's a link on your website to say, hey, here's where I can submit this. But when you don't have this process in place, what happens? People post it in your contact us form that may or may not get looked at, or it's a salesperson that looks at that form and they're like, eh, yeah, whatever, that's not a sale, I'm not gonna do it. You know, and it gets deleted down. We have to have a clear process to get this stuff in so that way we have the opportunity to address these issues, right? So that way we're not sitting here, you know, having some public dispute over, oh, well, did you tell anybody? Did you not tell anybody? You know, I mean, these are the type of concerns that we have that if we talk about the issues and focus on those versus our opinions of safety versus privacy versus, you know, crappy software that we hear all the time, maybe we'd actually start getting through to some people, you know, and address it that way. But we typically don't take that approach when we come in to do this, you know. But I mean, I I like the fact, and if it's true of what I said of my guests, that it's probably just because the framework they used happened to use Bcrypt. That's good on frameworks for us going forward. The fact that a lot of these frameworks now are starting to use Bcrypt or some stronger storage mechanisms, you know, to store our passwords for us. We don't have to think about it, right? Isn't this where we want to go with AppSec? I don't, I don't want the developers to even have to think about it. By default, you throw session management in and it does account passwords. It automatically does Bcrypt. It does a long salt, individual salt for each user. We're good to go. You know what I mean? And it, there was nothing on my part to make that happen. Now we're there. And an interesting note that I saw here, because there was a lot of people complaining about uh, there was a lack of breach notification, which a breach notification did actually come out from the company um, that was put in. You know, they're apparently based out of California. So lots of people asking about, oh, you know, they're breaking the law because they're not doing breach notification. And I found this interesting because typically – Breach notification is only required if it's unencrypted data. And everything we're talking about so far, right, has been an email address and uh, a bcrypt and a hashed password, which would technically count as encrypted uh, within the system. And then you've got things like voice recordings, right? Those don't, they don't count anyway. They don't, they don't fall on any breach notification list that I'm aware of. But California actually just this year <laughs> changed their breach notification to actually include encrypted data if the also like the encryption key was also retrieved that it could lead to rever you know reversing the data. So it's interesting. I, I feel like and this is again where I wish Sean was on because I feel like it's kind of on the edge of are they even required to do? data breach notification in this case. I mean, the passwords were hashed, yet they used weak passwords. So some of them have been cracked so far. But it seems like it's almost a gray area there where we said, well, if it's encrypted, but... So I, I included a link as well into the show notes uh, that go out to the actual California data breach notification. Uh, so you can see it yourself, right? But that was a recent change that just went in uh, this year in 2017 with the deal about encrypted data as well. So that's kind of interesting to think about. It's always interesting to think about. Um, you know, I, I think this, I'm pretty sure this isn't going to be the, the last time we hear about something of this nature. 
um, or or a major problem. Hey, speaking of major problems, how's uh how's your company's web resiliency, folks? Um, if you didn't notice, S3 recently went dead again for what felt like a million years. If you're on the on the receiving end of it, but it was only four hours, like only well, four hours, right? Four hours <laughs> at the end. <clears throat> Four hours in the tech world, man. That's uh, it is a long time, isn't it? And it took about fifteen seconds for somebody to ask if they were hacked. Turns out the answer is no. It was an admin that uh, um, issued the wrong command on the CLI or something, something of that nature. It was it chalked under an error, which I get it. Errors happen. But many sites went dead. Some had degraded performance. The bottom line is people absolutely freaked the heck out, which makes me wonder. If your if your strategy is but we're in the cloud, and you had a your company basically was dead for four hours, uh, do you even understand, bro? Do you even cloud? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry for doing that. That was funny though. Um, but do you, do you understand the con- the whole like idea behind cloud? Because I'm gonna guess the answer to that is I don't think so. Because having just because you stuffed stuff into somebody else's computer storage and, and processing power doesn't actually mean that's cloud. I mean that's that's doing that good, right? You want resiliency. Uh, how resilient is your organization to not just hacking? Uh, should that have been a hack? It shouldn't matter. Um, but it was interesting. I think um, that that it people went bat nuts so quickly over that. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I like to point out, because I did a, a podcast on my DevelopSec podcast about this, talking about um, this exact thing, because I wanted to point out some of the things that were going on that I think are good, right? Because, look, they were using a, a, a playbook of, hey, this is how we do our processes, right? So, hey, kudos to them for actually even having a playbook. Uh, they have processes laid out for how they're doing it. And, of course, somebody mistyped something into the tool, and, you know, lo and behold, it shuts down more stuff than it was expected. It shut it down too fast, right? It, ca- it caused these problems. And, you know, one of the things I like to point out is, first, mistakes happen, right? People are going to put stuff into tools uh, that may not work as expected. But I think what's interesting here is, you know, we often look at tools and how we manage our environments. And when we build the tool, say we built it three years ago. That environment didn't look anything like it does today. Right? Even taking Amazon and S3, when they built that tool, I guarantee you it doesn't look anything like it does today. Right? So what that tool would do, even if you had done this same thing when they first built the tool, this is just an assumption right? because I don't know anything about how they build their stuff. But let's just assume that they had done this right after they first built it. And it's a new environment, all this stuff. You know what? It shuts down everything, comes back up in 10 minutes. Maybe it doesn't take long at all for things to reboot because there's not a lot of data in it yet. And it, But as the time goes by, as complexity grows, our systems get huge, well, the tool doesn't maybe necessarily get you know, updated appropriately for it or we don't take those considerations in. And now all of a sudden you do that same mistake and due to the complexity and all that stuff, well, we got to load all this data back in and it takes two hours for this to load back in so we can boot back up. But we didn't have that in our test case. That wasn't in our test scenario because that environment didn't exist, right? This is new, uh, you know, and so the point of reeling that back in, and this is what they're doing, right? They're taking this as an experience. They're saying, hey, you know what? There's some things we need to do to our tools to make sure that, you know, there's a check in here that we can't shut system down that fast or that we can't shut these other systems off when these certain systems are on 
the environment's changed. We're taking it back. We're going to update our stuff so that way we don't have this happen again. You know, but I mean, if you go out and look at it, you know, I mean, how much downtime is it? Four hours, four hours out of a year? I mean, have they uh, exceeded their uptime promises that they're providing everybody? And as you stated, I mean, if I'm running this stuff on my internal you know, how, how much downtime do I have with that? How much extra effort do I have with that? If you're not account accounting for some potential downtime within your systems to be able to handle this, uh, you know, you're not doing a very good risk assessment of where you put in your stuff because there's risk with everything. There's there's a chance this stuff goes down. Yeah. You know, how, how are you prepared to handle that? You know, and we see, you know, I mean, there was a story talking about you know, I don't know, 150, what was it, 100, was it 1.5 million or 150 million? Uh, 150 million, you know, as a cost to the S&P 500 companies because of this outage. You know, it's like, oh, man, it is, but it's spread across a bunch of companies for one. But two, I mean, uh, it, your margins can't be that slim. You can't tell me that you haven't accounted for if my systems go down for four hours, if my systems go down for a day how do we handle that and can we recoup right how much of a cost is that to us and these are things we should be thinking about especially if you're a solely online presence how do i handle that type of situation if my stuff goes down if if you know whatever happens and that goes down am i you know what's what's my plan how do i deal with this am i covered for the fact that i'm i'm out for a day you know can my business survive a day offline if it had to in this rare event and, and hopefully you're thinking about that stuff within your organization because it doesn't matter where you put your stuff there's always a risk of it going down and uh, you know it's a matter of how we can react to that that's going to define how we are as an organization yeah no doubt no doubt well uh, you know if uh, if anything I mean this teaches us some lessons right like I said Resiliency, resiliency, resiliency. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we need to think about as we're doing this type of planning. You know, what's going to happen in this type of event? How do we handle it? Uh, you know, it was interesting, too. I mean, you see people all over, you know, man, when, you know, Amazon goes down, everybody suffers. And I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't have known it was down if I hadn't seen it on Twitter. <laughs> Apparently, I don't use any sites that use any of that region. Uh, or at least not regularly enough, because I didn't notice anything going on. I, I was I was busy with things like work and stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'm, look, it's people's job to notice when this stuff goes down. I get it, no doubt. But it, it the, the I guess maybe it's kudos to me for working with uh, organizations that don't suffer the uh, the wrath of of single uh, single issues like this. I, I don't know, but. It just brings back, you know, resiliency, 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 resiliency. You've been talking about it for years, and it's just, it's not, cloud doesn't suddenly make things better. Um, so it just moves. It just moves where it is, right? I mean, there, there are definitely some benefits, you know, as we've seen through going to cloud. I mean, imagine the people that are, you know, using cloud hosted email servers, and now they don't have to worry about hosting Exchange or mail servers internally. And, you know, just like I was talking about with the frameworks for development, I mean, the more stuff that I can take off my plate that inherently has better security involved with it, the better we're off, you know. But consider that there's still, you know, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's some fly by night cloud provider that you decide to go with, 
that, I mean, there's always that risk that that something's going to happen. I think it'll be interesting to see further down the line, you know, what more comes out of this, you know, besides what we've seen already. I mean, it's, you know, the impact just happened, but are we going to see more stuff come out of it? Or just like some of this other stuff we see, will it just be a blip on the screen and, you know, next week nobody will be, you know, oh, S3 went down? Uh, well, you know, it didn't really affect us. Or I'd really be interested to see, you know, from other companies that are using those services, hey, how bad did it affect you? You know, your systems went down for four hours. What what was the cost to you on that? You know, was it devastating? You know, I mean, are you doing stock trading where four hours of no stock trading causes a real big issue versus, you know, you just provide your marketing site for people to be able to go and, and see things? What, what's the actual devastation that's put out there so we can understand what type of harm we see and the percentage of users of that actually suffer from that harm versus just going out and, and you know so typically what we do in security well there's 800 million sites that use this but two of them had a problem you know or something like that like understanding the actual ratio and percentage of what actually gets inflicted on mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well uh i think we've ran for long enough to we'll make michael proud um <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, we didn't cover everything we wanted to talk through today. I mean, we, we certainly still didn't talk about the uh, cloud bleed billions and billions of credentials leak. Uh, cloud bleed. Hey, <laughs> um, hey uh, Cloudflare, good on you guys for, for being awesome and transparent and stuff. Uh, and they were quick to resolve, right? I mean, yeah, lightning quick. Yeah. I mean, if there's any story to that, it's how quick they were actually, you know, look, we were, we were alerted to something. And I forget what the timeline was, but I mean, it was very, very quick uh, that they were able to resolve the issue. So, I mean, that's exactly what we want to see out there. Well, that, that's that's basically the that's basically the synopsis of that story. Um, ransomware for dummies. Krebs published a ransomware for dummies because anybody can do it. I'll put the link to it. It's just, um, uh, yeah, that's kind of it's it's a little disturbing, but you know it is. Uh, and then uh, Google just cracked one of the big building blocks of web encryption. Uh, James, you want to give them the uh, 60 second synopsis of that one? Yeah, you know, I mean, if you haven't seen it yet, I mean, Google came up with, uh, you know, putting together a super system that was able to create a SHA-1 collision, uh, you know, so basically saying, hey, now we can do collisions with this. Uh, don't use it anymore, which, by the way, I don't think we're, you know, most people have kind of moved off from it anyway, at least from a certificate standpoint. Uh, and... You know, while they did do it, uh, you know, getting that computing power, there's not a lot of people that are going to have it. Uh, but, you know, something, uh, you know, at least now we've finally got a proof. I mean, they've been saying for, what, five years now at least, SHA-1's dead. Uh, now we've got uh, kind of a proof of concept behind it to show, hey, yes, we can actually do collisions within this. So kind of interesting. And kind of interesting and kind of done. All right, we are done, folks. Thanks for listening. Um, once again, uh, if you haven't gotten a chance, uh, I will simply uh, I will simply urge you to go go read Patrolling Cyberspace from Howard Schmidt. Great book. Um, you can catch up on all the, the stuff that we talked about today on this podcast uh, because we keep show notes. Yes, that's right. I wrote show notes. Write show notes just so you guys can read them. Does anybody read my show notes? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> And uh, as we roll along, uh, this is episode 235, but hey, um, if you get a second and you're feeling generous, leave us a comment on um, 
on uh, on, on Apple iTunes. Um, and once again, thanks for everybody who voted for us in these uh, Social Security Awards, Security Bloggers Awards. So we didn't win, but you know, I, I felt uh, I felt awesome about the fact that we were named. That is quite the honor um, with some of the other stellar podcasts. So uh, for Michael and my buddy James, way over yonder, I'll be closer soon, James. It won't be long. We'll be a stone's throw from each other. And uh, f- for myself, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. I look forward to seeing you guys another time, another place on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Bye. You've been listening to Down the Rabbit Hole Enterprise Security News. Give us feedback on our website, podcast.whiterabbit.net. That's W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T dot net. Or on Twitter at White Rabbit, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T. Till next time, on behalf of our co-hosts James Jardine, Michael Santarcangelo, and the White Rabbit, Rafael Los, thanks for listening. <laughs>